Hello and welcome to another episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. I'm your host Mark Hirons and today we're chatting to none other than Steve Wolf. Steve is an Austin-based graphic designer and illustrator specialising in logo design, band identity and typography. You may know him from social media. He has over 102,000 followers on Instagram. I've admired Steve's work for a long, long time now. Being able to finally chat to him and speak to him over Skype was great. Finding out a bit more about his personality, his background, how he deals with clients and his overall graphic design practice. I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Without further ado, this is my chat with Steve Wolf. Yeah, welcome to the show. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. So first of all, can we talk a little bit about your design background? Uh, when did you first know you wanted to be a designer? Yeah, sure. So um, I was actually really passionate about art and fine art. And I was also interested in industrial design. But instead of pursuing those paths around college, uh, I was invited by one of the design prof- graphic design professors to go to a design meeting and learn more about what the program would be there at the university I went to. And it was kind of interesting to me just learning more about graphic design. And I didn't really know much about graphic design and went to the meeting, kind of just fell in love with what, you know, graphic design had to offer from when I was hearing from my professor and took some type classes in the beginning and just fell in love with it. So it was kind of around college when I really kind of understood that I, I wanted to be a graphic designer. Nice one. Is there any specific people that uh, influenced you and um, got you interested in it? Or is it just the like the college? You know, it was the initial just professor that reached out. But as I kind of researched about graphic design and especially yeah. the history of graphic design, and I kind of found some of the great designers that we know, like Paul Rand and all the, you know, all the greats that we know of, and saw their work, it just kept inspiring me more and more and more. And I wanted to learn more about design and learn more about these people that inspired me. So, awesome. yeah. Yeah, that's, I remember when I got into design, it was uh, Wally Ollins. And do you know, do you know Wally uh-huh. Ollins? Yeah, so he got, yeah. he was one of the main people that inspired me. And it's it's nice to get, yeah, those, those big figureheads. It's nice to be see, seeing those and one day say, I want to be like that. And anyway. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> On your website, you say great work comes from great relationships. Uh, have you got any tips on how to hold a great relationship with a client? Yeah, you know, it, it's really listening to the client and understanding that as a designer, we're solving a problem for our clients. And it's sometimes it's going above and beyond in the relationship. It's giving them more than what they are expecting. It's, you know, it's make sure you're listening. You're having those conversations to get to the right solution together. And then, you know, in, in my process, we like to think of it more as like a partnership sometimes where, you know, we're bouncing ideas off and it's a lot more collaborative than just saying, oh, client needs something, I do it. Maybe it's just only email and then it's done. We don't like to think of the process like that. We like to go deeper and have that relationship because usually you can get better work out of it. Definitely, yeah. How, how do you make it more personal? Like, do you do you, a lot of phone calls, a lot of Skype calls? or? Yeah, we we, uh, we definitely start with, uh, usually starts with an email, then a call, but we've definitely been trying to do more like video, yeah. like Skype or um video interactions like that. If you can do it in person, that's ideal. Although that's always not the most practical thing sometimes depending on where the client is. But Yeah, definitely. Uh, with working with clients as well, how do you deal with them taking over? Have you ever had that where they want to, they want to be the designer and they, they want to design it? Because obviously you, you want to give them enough creativity, like enough, enough like they're putting enough into it, but you don't want to, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that, that, that's a great question, you know. If, if we see a client kind of wanting to take over, um, we usually kind of just reach out back to them and say, all right, let, let's kind of like 
take a breath, like take a step back, like let's talk about this together. And we really try to ask them like, what, why are you thinking this light way? Like, you know, what are your thoughts and, you know, how can we help you and like give our expertise to you, which is, you know, obviously the reason that they hired us is, you know, to hire a professional to solve their problem. Um, yeah. You know, even in the initial conversation, sometimes if you can gauge that the client might actually be doing that, that could be a red flag. Um, you know, over the years, we've been better at knowing that. Yeah. Um, sometimes if a client's going to be maybe a little bit difficult to work with or, you know, sometimes you just don't know. Um, but, you know, if, if they're trying to take over, if you want to call that, you know, it's just having more conversations and like making sure that we can both get on the same page. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And those those red flags are so important. How, what sort of mm -hmm. things do you look out for? Yeah, you know, sometimes it's initial emails. Yeah. Um, there are certain things where they're saying, if they say, like, I really want this, um, I, I hate this color, I like this. Like, if they're getting too specific, because sometimes there's not much merit in that until you actually explore that. Mm. So if they're trying to dictate things in the beginning, um, there might not be much merit to why they're saying that. So you kind of look for those things maybe in the initial emails. And then also, like, maybe, like, throughout the first round of work that you would send them and you get some feedback from them, you can also kind of gauge, like, well, uh, you know, if they're saying some feedback that makes no sense because it's maybe based off their preference yeah, and it might not be something that's right for the brand or the project that you're working on, that's also something that, you know, is kind of like a trigger that you can look for. Is it quite hard to turn people around? Because people obviously have preferences and you, you just said that if, they, if they're giving something um, that they think is preference, like their, their wife says something that they mm -hmm. should include, uh, how is it, how do you turn it around so you just say this is actually probably not the right idea? Sure. Um, you know, first, when we listen to client feedback, um, every now and then, sometimes they will actually give very good feedback that yeah. actually I might not even thought of, which is kind of like we well, how we like this partnership idea. Yeah. Because um, because sometimes the feedback is really valid because they are experts in the field, and they they know mo much more than I know about the industry or whatever they're trying to do more than I do. But, um, you know, if again if they're trying to do that, it's you know, it, it's really just listening. But then, like, sometimes you got to fight for your for what you really believe in um, in a very professional way. Yeah. Um, you know, th there's a difference between saying, well, client, you're completely wrong. Like, why would you ever think that? Um, versus, like, you know, I've done so much research on this myself. Um, I've immersed myself. I've explored things from a designer um, based off your experience level as a designer. Um, the longer you've been a designer, usually you can, I don't want to say you can have more credit in that, but you, that experience actually comes and has a lot of value that you can push back on the client and say, you know, I've made mistakes in the past on other projects because, you know, we did this, here's why this is a better solution. So That's it's good. kind of all of those things together. That's a good point. Yeah. I'm finding, obviously I'm, I'm still starting off in my design career, but I'm finding that sure. a lot of things yeah. are coming with experience. I need to just give it that time. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. We, we talk about relationships. You you work with your wife. How is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's fantastic. You know, to be honest, it was a little struggle in the beginning, you know, balancing what is a work relationship and what is like a, a marriage Yeah. yeah. Uh, and defining those boundaries. And But you know what? After the first couple of years, we've kind of finally found the groove and 
you know, we're able to separate marriage life and work life. Nice. And she's, she's fantastic. She's the organization, the, the HR, the project manager. She's all of that combined into a package. And it's just been a godsend for me. So it's helped out tremendously. She's, she's way, she's way more organized than I am. So. <laughs> nice. Uh, is that something you thought about though, having a creative sort of partner or, or someone ha- to help you with the business and then it all just suddenly happened that the wife, you know, your wife got involved? Yeah. You know, yeah. So initially when I was first doing some freelance work, I was just, it was all myself, just yeah. me. Um, and as I was dating my wife, she, she kind of would look at some of the emails I was sending clients and how I was organizing things. And she was like, well, this really is not a good way to do this. Like, <laughs> what if you did this and this? And I'm like, oh, well, I never thought of that and listened to someone else. And I, I realized the value of having someone that knows more about that than I do. Mm-hmm. So I could focus more on the creative part of the work. Um, so, you know, initially I, w- I was just thinking I would do it all myself, which there's plenty of people that do that. Yeah. Um, but for me personally, just having someone to take over some of the responsibilities just makes me a lot more comfortable and more flexible and more focused on the work that I need to do, which makes the yeah. better work. So, you know, d- definitely see the value of adding teammates if, you know, if it's feasible. So, yeah, that's good. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking like in the future, just obviously it's nowhere near yet, but, sure, um, yeah. When was the sort of point you wanted? You knew that you wanted to expand. Sure, um, you know it was probably a few years before my wife came on board. But then we've also added another project manager. His name's Matt. Um, he helps us out with projects from time to time. Um, so you know, the more work we do and the more work that comes in mm. from clients, um, you know, we ask ourselves: Do we have the bandwidth to take on all this work ourselves? Um, we're actually thinking, you know, down the line even more, like, do we need to hire an intern or another designer to help, you know, like that's a personal thing for us, like how much we would like to grow. Yeah. Um, but you know, it was definitely a few years into it before, you know, I, I kind of realized that it is a lot more helpful to have more people on board on your team. But like, like, as I said, it just depends what you want to do. If you want to be a huge agency, you know, you should be thinking about these like, okay, I need to start with this person to help. I need this person and like slowly grow. Yeah. Which is cool. You know, it's just a preference thing. So. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, definitely what I want to do. I want to build up as, as big as I can really. Um, yeah. This agency thing. So hiring and it's the mm-hmm. right people as well. It's, it's important. What did you look for like, when you hired Matt? Yeah. So I had a friend who was a designer who was working with them. You know, I just saw how he talked about him and how it made his life easier. Now he's just like, wow, he's able to do this for me so I could focus on the design, kind of like what my wife does. But um, I had a call with him just to kind of gauge, you know, what it would be like work with them. And, you know, he talked about things even just like negotiating pricing and establishing deliverables and contracts and all this stuff, which is very, very detailed and very important when it comes to working with clients. And we saw the value of that. And we did a test trial kind of working with a few projects with them and, mm-hmm. you know, just seeing how he was able to gauge more of a bigger budget yeah. than what we would normally charge. And, you know, having that skill is what was crucial from us going forward now. So we, we kind of learned like, here's a better way to structure like initial contracts and budgets and timelines and all these things. So, um, you know, it was just having a conversation with someone that we saw that could help us and, you know, kind of just going with it, kind of trying it out. You know, if it didn't work, you know, we could always stop. But yeah, uh, it just happened to work out that Matt was really great at what he did and was able to help us. Awesome. 
Yeah, so it definitely worked out for yeah. a lot of it. Oh, it's nice to hear like it's sort of organic and, and natural. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, has been the toughest sort of client you've ever had? If you want to, if you if you are allowed to share. <laughs> Gosh, I'm trying to think of a good one. Let me think. I mean, I, I I've had a few that were just like, um, it, it's it's really the clients that. You know, they don't understand the value of design. Yeah, this is hard. And, this is something that I've struggled sort with, uh, and I think as you grow up, you grow up the ladder as well. You you can get sort of clients that do respect design as well a bit more. Sure. So it's obviously hard starting out. It's a bit of no win. <laughs> it, it's also a, it's also a trust thing too. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's it's the client trusting the designer to to really show what they believe in and it also explain it. And and listen to that and try to visualize like how can that help my brand or how can that help this project that I'm working on. So um, it's easy for clients to get attached to clients or it's easy for clients to get attached to work of the projects that we're on, which is totally understandable. But you know, at some point, you know, if you're gonna hire someone to help help out, mm. you really just need to trust about their professionalism and their expertise to solve the problems. So yeah. you know, that it, it's really those clients that you know, that do trust the designers and that are a little bit more open, those are the projects that, from my experience, are always the best ones. You know, it's the most fun to work on. We always get to the best solution. It's always the best work that we create. So, nice. yeah. Nice one. Would you consider yourself an influencer in the design world? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, I'd like to think that. But, you know, I just love design and I, mm. I love sharing the work that I do and I you know I, I try to inspire other designers or how about young designers especially you know yeah. getting those emails from young designers starting out because I mean I was one myself um you know like hey what's how did you do this how did you do this you know just giving back I think is important nice. um especially for experienced designers who's been in the field to give back to the people that are just starting out because you know we were all there ourselves yeah. you know wh- wh- where would some of us be if we didn't have someone mentoring us or giving us an opportunity just to, oh. yeah, I mean, I, I just love, you know, like I said, sharing and creating, so. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Because uh, I, when I look at sort of Instagram designers with, like, because it's, it's weird, because there's like a hierarchy. So there's like there's like people like mm-hmm. Paula Scher and um, Michael Beru, and then I think you've got people like yourself and Aaron Draplin and Kendrick Kidd and Roy Smith, people like that mm-hmm. who are at the top of the, like, they're really at the top mm-hmm. and influencing younger designers. Have you ever had kids, like, directly copying a work and how did you deal with it sure yeah i've definitely had a lot of that um, yeah you know if if i see that you know instead of just like calling them out and blowing it up on instagram like how dare you you know it's it's always best practice to email them personally and do it in a nice way and then try to have a conversation like you know look i i see that you've kind of copied my work directly um you know and explain that there's a difference from being inspired by somebody's work than literally blatantly copying it and explaining that to them. And I'd say 99.9% of the time they apologize, they understand it, they re- immediately remove what they put up and it's, it's you know, it's done. Mm. If you get that one person that's just like, no, whatever, well then you can decide to take, you know, further action. But, you know, it, it's really just reaching out and talking to them and, you know, you can square it away that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does happen. Because I, I chatted with Aaron Draplin about this, and he was saying sure. he was saying a similar thing. Yeah, you just got to have a quiet word. Um, seems to be the best way of doing it. Uh, but you guys must get a lot of it, like, especially like 100, 101,000 followers now on Instagram. That's incredible. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It happens to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, 
you know, when it, when it gets serious, you know, you can address it. But yeah, it's just, you know, unfortunately it happens in the industry. Well, there's quite a fine line between inspiration and copying. Like, do you, how do you distinguish sure. between the two? That's a really good question. Um, obviously, the the end results need to be different from even someone who's not a designer. If yeah. they can see, like, oh, well, that actually looks like almost the exact same thing. Like, yeah. you should just tell from the end result. But as far as being inspired by somebody's work, you know, whether it's just kind of mashing up things like oh, I really like that color palette from this person. Um, maybe I'm inspired by some historical figure. Um, you know, I, I try to find inspiration now not from directly just design work. Yeah. And finding inspiration from architecture or fine art or nature and all these other places because it's a whole other world to get inspired by. You know, it's, it's easy as a designer when you start a project um, to just directly look at design work that's similar in the same field, same style, and only look at that yeah. maybe because it's a tight deadline or you're just tired or you know you're just like yeah i need to get this done it needs to be awesome you know taking a step back and looking at places of inspiration that you might not initially think about um i found personally that i've been able to get better work and more original or more unique work that way yeah you know and also just understanding the problem you're solving and and focusing on that and making sure that the art or the design that you create is the right thing for that instead of just making sure that, that it look might look cool to post online and you know yeah it, 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 there, there, there's that balance in that thinking to, to you know that you need to think of for these things yeah yeah i mean there's yeah you can sort of get trapped in a hole and especially when you're young, you're young yeah. design, you can get trapped mm-hmm. in this just design just looking at design but i think architecture is one for me that i absolutely love it mm-hmm. looking at buildings and maybe not Maybe I yes. don't do it, take inspiration from it enough, but there's definitely something there that I, I'm attracted to. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, I, it's nice. I, yeah, I love that. <laughs> love that. Uh, how, how do you think you've grown and what, what makes your work so special that you've got to 101,000 followers and, and what, how do you think you've grown? <laughs> well, well in, in those numbers, I honestly don't know how that happened. Um, my <laughs> wife actually was the one that made me get Instagram. Right. Um, I didn't even have an Instagram account. She's like, well, you should post your work and... I was like, okay, I'll try it. But you know, my 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 goal or my intent was never to just gain as many followers and likes as I could. I mean, yeah, I I, I just like to share the work that I create, and it you know, design is something that I'm extremely passionate about. It's something that I'm thinking about twenty four seven. Whether that's a curse or not, I don't know. But it, it's it's something that I want to always try to get better at and improve. Um, you know, I'm never completely satisfied with where I'm at. I'm always trying to think of how can I improve and get better? Hmm. How can I create something that's more meaningful? Um, you know, is it something that I can research more and learn about? Can I look into other fields to get inspired by? Um, you know, it's all these things. So, yeah. you know, as for, yeah, as far as my end goal and intention, that that's kind of a short description if you want to hear it that way. But. I mean, there's... The thing is, with switch being a designer as well, it's hard to switch that brain off because we see sort of, we see things like we see go down walk down the street and see a shop sign and we're like, oh, that could be the curling's a bit rubbish or, or like, it could be a bit better in this way or that way, and it's constantly looking to improve things, which is a good thing and a bad thing. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do you? Yeah, it's, go on. Sorry. Oh no, I was gonna say on top of that, it's being. I think it's good to be extremely passionate yeah. about that twenty four seven, but it's also a good idea to completely turn your off from time to time and recharge 
Um, that's something I've run across recently is just being able to like just stop for a while. Because sometimes you can you will burn yourself out too. <laughs> How do you do that? Do you just not look at design stuff or? <laughs> Yeah, it's that. Um, definitely getting outside and off of a computer is just a huge thing, not staring at a screen for nine hours a day. Yeah. Um, even just going out, you know, go to the river, go to the woods, go go take a vacation somewhere else, you know. Th- those are uh, my, my favorite ways to kind of break away and break the, the whole burnout situation. So Nice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, uh, what what makes timeless logos timeless, or what makes timeless work timeless? Sure, if you look at even what the definition of a timeless logo is from, you yeah. know, I'd say a lot of experts throughout history, from current day, it's things like making sure that a logo is simple. You know, it's memorable, um, it's versatile, it's appropriate for the for the client. It's all these. It's a list of things, um, and. You know, as you're creating a logo, you can kind of have those checklists in the back of your mind as you're working and making sure like, you know, is, is this gradient or all these small detail textures in my typography, for example, is that really going to be the best thing to make this last and be versatile and work as best as it can? Yeah. Um, so, you know, a timeless logo should never have to change. You know, when you look at even Coca-Cola, for example, I always love the Coca-Cola versus Pepsi logo <laughs> example. You know, you know, yeah. it's just over time, they never changed got it right the first time, too. And look at the brand equity today, Pepsi versus Coca-Cola, just from having seen that logo the same over and over throughout all these years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I would go through that checklist. I, you know, I always some, sometimes I have to force myself and remember, like, wow, like, is this thing that I made, is it simple, memorable, versatile, appropriate? Is it all these things? Because, you know, it's easy to just kind of get into the flow of working and the final result sometimes might not, you know, get into those categories as best as it should. Yeah. But yeah, I would say that, I would say that's the, you know, somewhat of a definition of a timeless logo. Nice. Is that, is that something you're constantly thinking about as you're, as you're designing, having that checklist? Yeah. So, so what's, what's on the checklist? So you've got simple, memorable, Works in black and white. Must make it mm-hmm. simple. Uh, yeah, ver- versatile. You know, make sure it's appropriate for the industry um, that you're working in. Yeah. Making sure that the logo can work um, at an extremely small size. Um, and how does it look at a big size? You know, mm-hmm. a, a thing that I've been doing recently with my clients um, to kind of prove the concept of the logo and is the application part, um, and even showing them how is it going to look in an Instagram avatar. And understanding the applications that we're dealing with in today's world, yeah, um, that a logo needs to work in a lot of different places. Um, a lot of stuff is on on our phones now, which is a pretty small screen in a dimension of width. So, mm. um, you know, are we going to be looking into, you know, AR and VR? You know, it's it's making sure that the the logo is is simple, that it's going to be able to work throughout anything throughout time as well. So. The AR world. Do you think we'll be making sort of three D logos that people can move around in, or possibly? You know, um, my, my wife's really into tech, and um, yeah. we had the South by Southwest conference here in Austin just recently, and she went to a lot of talks about that and yeah. how that could possibly be a huge thing that's going to happen in our world. And you know, may, may, maybe it is. Yeah. Um, but you know, if your logo is extremely complex or too detailed. You know, how is that going to work in there? Um, a lot of that is unknown, but, you know, I think what's proven is that all these things we just talked about, the, the simplicity is probably the biggest thing. Still going to, yeah. You know, 
you know, it's just, and even throughout time, like a lot of the logos that were made even in the sixties and seventies that are, you know, considered timeless in today's world, they're going to work. Yeah. Even in things that we're thinking about currently. Um, and we don't know what's going to be happening even a hundred years from now. I mean, of course no one knows that, but, um, simplicity for me is a huge thing that I always think about, um, as I'm creating logos. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think or even imagine, start to imagine like where logos are going to go. I hope uh-huh. they do stay sort of 2D and f- flat because one, yeah. make, I think it'll make our jobs easier, but also because they, they just work like that. But anyway, exactly. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> how, how do you think your process has evolved as you've got older and got more experienced? Yeah, that's a great question for me. You know, making sure I'm doing more research has been crucial for me and also really getting to the core problem um, that I'm dealing with. You know, when I first started designing, it was just like, oh, here's what the client needs. Great. I can do that. Yeah. And I'd look something up real quick, send it. And it was literally like a logo in one page of a PDF and nothing else. And here's your option, right? Like I, I did what you asked. Yeah. And, you know, I realized that that was a very poor way of presenting my work and thinking about my work. Um, as I've, you know, been a designer longer, you know, even my presentation of my work has changed where it's, it's um, describing the research and the, the thinking and the values of the, the brand that I'm working on and um, being able to explain that to the client. Because, you know, the, the clients we're dealing with might not know so much about design, but they do know a lot about business and about their product and about their brand. Um, and it's kind of getting onto their level so that they, they can understand what we're making. Yeah. Um, you know, creating the work can be almost easy compared to selling your idea or selling your work to the client. Mm-hmm. So kind of focusing on that part of the, um, of the project has been something that I've learned over the years. Um, and just being able to talk to a client, you know, through communication, you know, writing better emails. It's all these things that it's, it's a big communication thing. I think that, that I've been focusing more on. Nice. Yeah, I, this has come up quite a lot. Um, recent people I've talked with, and uh, just in just in life in general, the selling of a of a logo of of a, like creating the story of it. It's quite. Mm-hmm. I didn't when I first got into it. I didn't realize how important it was, and I think that's the same thing. That it it just as you get more experience, you understand these nuances and the smaller things that actually make mm-hmm. a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. So the last three questions I ask everyone. Uh, first of all, the, your best purchase under under a hundred dollars. Ooh, um, well, you know what? Re- recently, so I was actually in the mall, um, which we haven't, my wife and I haven't shopped in malls for a while, but we were there. And uh, I was, I've been looking for a jacket forever. And um, I was just looking around because she was shopping. And I found like a, a really nice jacket that I was like, oh, wow, like it was like 90 bucks or something. I was like, eh, it's kind of expensive. And um, I looked at the price tag and it was like 20 bucks. I was like, oh, wow, like, this is great. Like, this is cheap. And it was, there was only one, there's only one on the rack and it was my size. So I was like, Oh, this is great. I'll, I'll pay 20 bucks for this. And I went to the, to the register to, to buy it. And she's like, Oh yeah, this is only actually like $9. What? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, we're having another. So I was like, Oh, okay. So I bought like a $90 jacket for like $9. I was That's like, crazy. I just, I just felt like, so like, I just ripped them off. I was like, so like proud. I was like, yeah, it's like, I just got the deal of the century, but yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just, it just like a random thing that happened. But I mean, I don't, I usually don't buy too many things for myself either. So I was just kind of like, Hey, I, I can do that for nine bucks. Awesome. <laughs> but, no, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Uh, <laughs> that's a great deal as well. $9. Yeah. Uh, 
So, what was your best design tip? Ooh, or create, or, or just tip? What's your best tip? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, it, a lot of it's. It can be the cliche things like work hard and yeah. you know be the best you can, which I would say is incredibly true. Um, you know, I would also say that um, experimentation is something that I do a lot too. You know, I'm always trying to evolve my craft. Um, sometimes I'm just pushing it to the boundaries and trying something that I think might be insane. Mm. But learning from that and learning and taking a step back from all the work that I make and analyzing it and and really being hard on the work that I make over time and um, seeing how, you know, what's working, what's not, and really seeing how I can improve, what are the areas that I'm good at. And, you know, the, the more you analyze yourself, and um, think of it in that way, you know, you can really try to get better and have a good gauge to do that as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really big on research. Uh, I'm huge on always taking photos of cool design and stuff, going to antique stores, all these things we just talked about too, yeah. nature, ar- architecture, uh, collectors of design, you know, buying books, reading things, you know, really, really trying to understand the craft that you're in as a designer. Um, and, you know, also, if you're reaching, if you're just starting out, you know, re- reach out to somebody, you know, always feel free to learn and ask, ask somebody for advice. Um, you know, it's, I, I could go on and on and on about this stuff. But, That's great. Oh, honestly, and, keep going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I love some of this stuff because, you know, it, it's easy to just kind of be comfortable with, with, you know, what you're doing as a, you know, where you are as a designer, but, you know, never be afraid to try new things. You know, I even dabble with fine art from time to time and like oh wow like this could be a cool pattern in this product i'm working on like you just never know and you know it's just trying those things out too so um i mean that's just like a few things that you know i'm pretty passionate about is how to improve and tips and stuff like that but awesome yeah thank you very much finally how do you want to be remembered um (laughs) well i'd like to be remembered as well first not even just design as someone who is a good person. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a little more important than just being, you know, someone who is the best designer of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because at the end of the day, we are just designers. Um, being a good person, I would say, takes takes more prior than being a good husband, a good friend. Um, if we were to talk about just design, you know, I'd like to be considered as someone that that made really meaningful work. Um, you know. Uh, you know, could tr- maybe hopefully inspire somebody. You know, I, I don't want to get too too much in design work because that's not really my focus. Yeah. I am, but you know, you, you'd be surprised of just being a, a good friend or even just mentoring another designer in your field if we want to keep it in design. You know, like you know, being remembered as someone like that. I don't know. I I, I would, I'd rather think of it in those terms, I guess. But <laughs> well, you certainly inspired me to do stuff, so I really appreciate it. Um, um, th- thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Well, thanks very much. That's it. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, it was a lot of fun. I always love doing these things. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Creative Waffle Podcast. Go and check out Steve's work and say hello to him. You can find him on Instagram at stevewolfdesigns. If you want to go to his website, check out stevewolf.co. If you have enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. Let someone else know about it. Like the video and uh, subscribe if you want to. All of those things really, really help such a small podcast grow. If you haven't said hi to me personally, I'd like to get to know you a bit more. Uh, say hi via DM, a message, or, or any how really. Hello at bluedeardesign.co.uk via email or at bluedeardesign. Everyone on the internet. 
Thank you very much. I'll catch you in the next episode.